verse 19, chapter 14. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders from the, for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So God, we look back through all of history um, in the New Testament and we're reminded of men and women who had been rescued by the gospel and who are carrying the gospel uh, to uh, far lands where they are witnesses in in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And God, I thank you for the courage that it takes to go out, particularly into um, non-Christian or post-Christian contexts. And so, God, I pray that we'd just be spurred on uh, by the gospel this morning, and we'd be spurred on by the reminder that you're a going God, and spurred on by these families that have given their life to the gospel and going into Denver. So be honored and glorified, I pray, and would you transform us, God, change us. I pray in the powerful name of Jesus and God's people said, amen. Thanks, Sin. Well, what an honor and a privilege it is to be with you guys this morning. Most of you guys probably don't know me, but man, I know Windsor Community Church. Your guys' church and your leaders have just made a huge contribution to me as a new, I only became a pastor in May. Okay, I'm 34. And it just happened, all right? And it took a long time for me to get there. Um, but I'm so thankful for you guys, and, and I, I consider it a serious privilege to be with you here this morning. Um, super, I loved the sermon last week that, that Dan preached, the interview that you guys did up here, so awesome. Um, before we get into the text that Dan read here, um, a, a little bit about me. So if you could put up the, the pic of my family here. So I'm from the Bay Area, California. This is my family. I met my wife, Joni, in L.A., Azusa Pacific. And we have a four-year-old and a two-year-old. Can you turn the screen on for me, too? And, um, and, and basically, uh, you know, I, I never thought that I would be a pastor, okay? I, I never thought that that's what I would be. My grand vision for my life growing up was make more money than my dad. That was my grand, amazing vision for my life, but thank God he had a bigger and better vision than I did for myself. Um, I can remember being in college, and I got engaged to Joni, and I said to her, like, the Lord had begun to do some work for me, and the calling to be a pastor uh, began to come in college, and, and I, to the point where I finally said to my wife, I was soon to be wife, I said, hey, hey, babe, I know I'm a finance major, but I think one day I'm going to be a pastor, and I think that when that day comes, I think that's what I'm going to do the rest of my life. She was like, what? What happened to being a finance major? I was like, I know, things are going to change, and our income is going to be like a lot less, so no more guac at Chipotle, sweetie. (laughs) And she was like, okay. (laughs) And so we ended up having two little kiddos, Noah and Brooklyn, four and two. And, you know, the move then began to happen for me, not just be a pastor, but to plant a church. And the Lord used some really significant things to get me there. In fact, probably the most significant thing that happened was 
Um, in 2016, my wife and I, uh, we were pregnant with our first kiddo, and we lost that kiddo. We lost him at seven months pregnant, and so we had to give birth stillborn. And, you know, I'd be, I, I'd be lying to you if I, if I didn't tell you that that was the worst day of my life. The worst day of my life was when we lost him. And, but the crazy thing was, is that we weren't alone. We were part of an amazing church in Denver that wrapped us up. I mean, we came home. We were on a trip when we lost that baby. And then we came home, and our car had been cleaned. Our apartment had been cleaned. Our bathroom had been cleaned. And, and I was just so stunned at the kindness of the family of faith. And I can remember sitting there on my couch early in the morning, seeking God's face, asking him the hard questions that come with suffering, right? And I remember sitting there and just being so comforted by his voice, him answering my questions and comforting me through his word. And we were in this apartment building of maybe 70 apartments at the time. And I remember thinking as I was sitting there on the chair, I remember thinking to myself, I don't know one person in this building who knows God. And we knew a lot of the building. And I thought to myself, if something like this happened to them, what would they do? What hope do they have? Would they have this beyond just biological family, this other family of friends of of faith that can come in and comfort them? And I realized that sitting there, that that was not acceptable to me. It was not acceptable to me that all the people around me didn't know the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's when the furnace began to burn in my heart. I remember the day. That's when the furnace began to burn in my heart to plant a church which eventually we did. If you could put up the picture of, uh, of, our, of our team, two months ago, we did. About 75 days ago, we moved to Denver, 21 adults and four kiddos. After a two-and-a-half-year um, residency at Mountain View Community Church, we moved to Denver with this team. Um, and, you know, a lot of them grew up in Fort Collins in, in this area. And they left, they quit their jobs, they left a lot of their friends, they left their family, and they came to Denver to plant a new church. And let me just say this morning, if you're here today, you're not a Christian, and you ask, why would somebody do that? It's a good question to ask, because it was a big, they gave up a lot. They gave up a lot. And the reason is because they love the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so compelling to them that they were willing to do this and go and preach the gospel to those who haven't heard. And that's why they left with us. That's why they left. Because for us as Christians, we need to grow as disciples and we need to make disciples. It's a great way to sum up our lives. Growing as disciples and making disciples. And so, in fact, as Dan said, I believe that the local church is the main way that this goes forward in the world. For the past 2,000 years, as Christianity has been spreading across the world to the point where it's pretty evenly distributed now in all the different continents across the world, The way that that went forward is the local church. And I think our text uh, demonstrates that today, as as Dan read. But before I read this text one more time, a little bit in the way of background. So Paul, who wrote a chunk of the New Testament, um, who was saved by Jesus, he, he, he grows as a Christian, and eventually he finds himself in one of the first churches after Jerusalem that got planted in Antioch, which is in Syria. Paul finds himself there, and his, his best buddy Barnabas is there, and then the Spirit says to the church, set apart for me, Paul and Barnabas, for the work to which I have called them. So the church in Antioch does, and then they send them out. And this is the first missionary journey. The first missionary journey of Paul, it goes from, uh, it's Acts 13 and 14. 
And you, uh, what you can see up here is, is the way that they start in Antioch on the, on the right side there, and then they move across through different cities. And they, here's what they do. They go to different cities. They go to the next city. They go to the next city. And in each city, they preach the gospel to people who have never heard it, first to Jews and then also to Gentiles. And they make their way through the cities, and some people respond and come to faith, but other people start to hate. Other people start to oppose his message in a really, really vitriolic way, okay? To the point where he gets to this city called Lystra. They get to the city called Lystra. They're preaching to Greeks, Paul and Barnabas. They're telling them about the gospel, but then they heal a guy. By the power of Jesus, they heal this guy. And the, the Lystrans freak, and they're like, the gods are here. And they start to try and worship him. And Paul and Barnabas are like, no, 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 no. We're, we're telling you about the, the living God. We aren't him. We're telling you about him. And they barely restrain him, the text says, okay? In Lystra, they barely restrain them. Enter our text. Enter our text. I'm going to read it again. Acts 14, 19 through 23 says this. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. By the way, that's a different Antioch than the one that sent Paul. It's, uh, it's Pisidian Antioch. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in faith and saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Okay? So I've got three things for you guys from this text, all right? Three things that I think we see, and you really see the first one right away. You see the first one right away in verse 19, and it's this, ready? The gospel brings persecution. Verse 19, Jews came from Antioch and Iconium. Now, just, just by way of reminder of historical context, okay? Antioch is 100 miles away from Lystra. So when it says Jews came, horses were expensive. Almost 99% sure what they did was walk. Okay, no electric scooters, no cars. These homies walked from Antioch to Lystra to murder this guy. Think about how much hate you got to have to do that. Think about a burning passion to want to kill someone that bad, such that when they get there, they, it says they stoned him and they dragged him out. Okay, they stoned him and they dragged him out. This is the people that were just almost trying to worship Paul and Barnabas, by the way. My, how things change. How quickly things change. How fickle we are as people, right? And then it says, supposing that he was dead, they left him outside the city. Supposing he was dead. In other words, they thought he was dead. Why? Probably because he looked dead. He was probably passed out, bloodied up. They dragged him out of the city. Oh, mission accomplished. He's dead. But then when the disciples come around him, he rises up. He rises up. So, Here's the first point. The gospel brings persecution, and we will face opposition. Okay, just to give you an example of this. In Denver, only 8% of the city is evangelical Christian. It's one of the highest none percentage cities in the United States. And by none, I mean they take none religion on the census. Okay, I have no religion. So that number is like 33, 35% of the city says they have no religion at all. 
Um, I can remember being in that same apartment building. One of my very dear friends, my wife and I, was a couple, there was a couple friend down the, down the way. And they, um, I can remember one night, we were drinking wine with them. It was late. It was like 11 p.m. And he was like, he, he started to talk to me about hell and judgment. He was not a Christian. We had talked about the gospel a bunch of times. And man, he was livid at me with this God who has the right to judge people for their evil and can potentially send them to hell. And he talked for me from, from 11 p.m. to 2 a.m. for three hours, sitting on the floor, looking across at him, just absorbing. I mean, he was mad, just absorbing his anger and, and his objection and all this. And we went for three hours. And I was supposed to work the next day, but I, I was here for it. I mean, this is part of my purpose, right? This is part of why I'm here on earth, to talk to this guy who I love, who has major objections to the teaching of the Bible and the God of the Bible. And, and he was just so opposed to it. I remember that, that previous uh, picture with, the, with our church. That was in San Francisco. We did a, a, a retreat with them recently. We were at this park in San Francisco. And I, you know, be, preparing them to go and preach the gospel to the people that they know and love in Denver, we went around in this park in San Francisco and asked people, hey, we really love San Francisco. We just wanted to see if there's anything we could pray for you for, okay? I got to break them in, okay? Breaking them in. And we're going around in San Francisco, and a number of the pairs, they went around in twos, got the answer, you're doing what? You're walking around praying for people? People here aren't going to like that. You shouldn't do that. Opposition. Physical opposition. Okay? And there's also spiritual opposition. You have an enemy that wants to destroy you. I'll never forget. When I had to make the decision, when I was talking with Mountain View about being a resident, hey, Adam, are you going to be a resident to prepare to plant a church for two and a half years because you don't know what you're doing, but after residency, you might. I had to, I had to think about it. For, for, I, mean, I had to sign on the dotted line, right? That week, somebody comes down the alley of where our apartment was, smashes into our car, rips the front of the car off. Somebody broke into our other car, and then the dreams started. I started having these. The, I mean, they were the worst dreams I've ever had in my life. Heinous, unspeakable dreams every night to the point where I'm going to bed like spooked. What's going to happen tonight? I was, I was scared. I really was. Because I, I felt the spiritual enemy trying to intimidate me. Trying to intimidate me from what I felt, my wife felt, God had called us to do. Okay? And God ended up really encouraging me through Nehemiah, another guy who gets a clear call and then goes to build the wall back up in Jerusalem, but everyone's opposing him, but he's standing firm, and I felt God speak to me. I, this is a war. I need you to stand firm. And I was like, okay. And then I got a bunch of people to pray, and the dream stopped by God's grace. You will face spiritual opposition. I, in the past 12 months, I've been sick probably three times more than any year of my life. And it always happened when I was driving down to Denver for something in relation to church planning. My kids would get sick. My whole family would get sick. I'd get sick. I had to do a bunch of stuff riding on this wave of caffeine and ibuprofen just to do what I needed to do, right? I remember one time my wife was gone. This is probably the worst of it. I was going down again to Denver to do something related to church planning. I was going to speak at a church. And I remember getting into the car, driving down for Fort Collins and being like, ugh, I don't feel very good. Driving down to the point where I pull over to a Starbucks and I take my kids out, go lock the door in the bathroom, and I'm just like hovering over the toilet like, ugh. I, well, I guess, I guess nothing's going to happen. I just got, Nothing happened. Nothing came out. Walked out, got back in the car, driving down on the freeway, going 75. 
five minutes from my destination, and I feel it start to come. And I'm like, I got to get off the freeway. And I get one lane over, and I just launch all over my dashboard. I mean, who throws up in their car? Like, I didn't even know people did that. I launch, and I've got the kids in the back. I'm on the freeway, so I'm, my eyes are up. Have you ever thrown up with your eyes open? It hurts, dude. <laughs> it was terrible. And I was just like, what is happening? And I pulled over in this random neighborhood, threw up one more time. I mean, it was just, it's funny, but it's also traumatizing. And it was terrible. And I just felt, I mean, the sickness always in the right time when I was coming to do something for church planting, I felt the spiritual opposition against what I felt like God had called us to do. The gospel brings persecution from all corners. And I I think, guys, I really think this text wants us to see that. I think Luke wants us to see the persecution that came from this. Well, I don't want to oversell it, okay? Like, it's not like every time you go and preach the gospel, somebody stones you and you throw up in your car, okay? Like, this is the apex of the persecution in the first missionary journey. This is the worst part. The whole thing. Um, and, and I just, it's so clear to us. And I, I think it presents, I think it presents a helpful moment for us, just a helpful chance to ask ourselves. Maybe you've never been stoned. I don't mean Colorado stone. I mean rocks, okay? Maybe you've never been stoned um, or left for dead. But man, have you ever been uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel because of something that you said? Has there ever been a moment where somebody looked at you with like, dude, no, or opposed you? Because if not, it's worth asking. Maybe it's because you're not scattering enough seed. What I mean by that, that's what Jesus talks about, scattering of the gospel. The seed will respond different ways. God gives the growth, but it's our call to scatter the seed evangelistically, to share the gospel. Have you ever felt uncomfortable because of that? And I don't mean in a way that just because you said it in a mean way. I mean you were authentic, you were tactful, you were kind, and you presented the gospel. And it was weird. It's kind of uncomfortable. It's kind of awkward. Have you ever experienced that? Because if not, maybe it's a prompting from God's Spirit to scatter a little bit more. Because people are going to respond a lot of different ways, just like they did with Paul and Barnabas, right? People are going to respond a lot of different ways. The gospel brings persecution. To which you might say, especially if you're here today, you're not a Christian, to which you might say, why would you do that? Why would you ever do that? Like, look what happens to this dude, Paul. He gets absolutely wrecked. Why would you go out and share the gospel to people that don't want it, dude? Why would you ever do that? The cost can be so, so high. The discomfort can be so high. I'll tell you why. Because the gospel brings persecution, but it also brings passion. The gospel also brings passion. Look at, what, look at what happens in verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. Same day, dude gets stoned, comes to, goes right back in. Think about that. He doesn't take like a day to collect himself. He goes right back into the city that just expelled him. It, it, it really shows you how much this dude loved the Lord. It really shows you the affection, the, the knowledge of why he's here. This, anything could have happened. It wouldn't have stopped him. He goes back into the city immediately. It, the gospel sets a fire in somebody's soul. And I'll tell you what, the more you understand what Jesus did, 
the more you see clearly your own wickedness and don't let your sin obscure how wicked you really are. That's one of the things sin does. It doesn't even let you see right. You can't even see yourself right. That's how messed up sin is, okay? And the more you understand that and the more you understand what Jesus did, what he was willing to do for you, that fire burns hotter and hotter such that you're willing to do things you were never willing to do before because of the love of Jesus Christ. Because of the love of Jesus Christ. He went, rose up and entered the city. Does the gospel burn that hot for you? Does your love burn that hot for the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you're like me, maybe you're kind of like, ah. I don't know, dude. I'll admire what Paul did, but man, I just don't know that I'd take that step. I have good news for you. There's a gracious God who saved you knowing your weaknesses. And you know what? You can ask for that. You can ask for God to give you a heart that burns like that. And I would encourage all of us to do that because there's nothing better. There's no greater purpose in life than to, than to know the Lord Jesus Christ and to, and to sing of his name from the rooftops. The gospel brings passion. It brings zeal. Verse 21. When they had, uh, or end of verse 20. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. The next day. First day. He gets knocked out. He goes back into the city. The next day, no time off. Let's go on to the next city, boys. What? I mean, it's so reasonable to have taken a few days off. No. He keeps going. He keeps going. His heart is burning like a furnace. And it's filled with gratitude for what the Lord Jesus did. Which is why verse 21 happens. When they had preached the gospel to that city, they go on to the next city, Derby. They preach the gospel again. And make no mistake, if you want to see disciples get made, you need to preach the gospel. No gospel, no disciples. It's that simple. No gospel, no disciples. No seeds scattered, no growth. And if, you aren't, if, you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, maybe you're like, okay, gospel, like, I, I've heard that word. But what does the word gospel actually mean? I'm glad you asked. The word gospel is a, mean, is a word that means good news. It's, it's an easy thing. It's an easy way to remember it. Gospel means good news. To which you might say, what's the good news? Which is a natural question. Well, you might have noticed that the world is a deeply broken place, especially in the news the last week. All reminded of this again. And, and if you're honest with yourself, not only is the world a broken place, but your relationships with other people can be broken. Yeah, sometimes you, you, you feel a brokenness and a distance from God. The Bible says that this is because of something called sin. Okay? Sin is our rebellion against God. It's our rejection of the creator God where we turn and worship creation instead of him. We turn and love the things that he made more than we love him. This is sin. It's our way, not God's way. Okay? And this is what has broken the world. To which you might say, I thought this was good news. And the good news, in light of the brokenness of sin which we brought into the world, the good news is that God did something about it. The good news is that God sent his son Jesus into the world, fully man, our representative. Fully God, the authority to forgive sins. And he came into the world to die for sin. Which you might say, well, why, what do you mean die for sin? Well, here's the thing, guys. 
God is good. And part of goodness means he's just. Every terrible thing that's ever happened to you, that you've ever seen on TV, that you heard that's happened to somebody you know and love, every terrible, unjust thing that's ever happened, God cares deeply about. And he's not going to ignore it. Because that's what goodness is. He's a good judge who's not willing to ignore sin, but now we got a problem. Because if you're honest with yourself, you're a part of that injustice. You might draw the line in some arbitrary space. Well, they're worse than me. Oh, okay, but you still have injustice. And if there's a good God, he's not going to ignore it. Which is why Jesus came to die for sin. You see, somebody's going to die for sin. Somebody's going to make the payment to a just God. The good news is, it just doesn't have to be you. It just doesn't have to be you. In fact, that gift, that death for sin, Jesus offers us. This is the best part of the good news. He offers it as a free gift to you. He offers that reconciliation with God to you as a free gift accepted by faith in him. That is the good news of the gospel. And not only that, but eternal life with all sin and pain and tears removed the way it was designed to be. That is what the gospel is. And we're called to bring it to the world. When I first started my residency, <clears throat> I wasn't very evangelistic. And I remember thinking to myself, I want to be a part of a church that grows by conversion. I want people to come to our church who have never heard the gospel before, not just other Christians. Like, Lord knows we need them. But man, our, our ambition, our zeals for those who haven't heard to come, in, to come in here. And I remember thinking to myself, I want a church that's like that. Guess who needs to be evangelistic? And I wasn't. And so I remember, this is about two years ago, pulling up to my gym and in my car and saying to myself, I, I guess I just got to meet people. And I walked into the gym and I started talking to the guys that worked there that were checking people in because they're a captive audience. They can't go anywhere. And uh, I'm talking to them. I'm, I make some friends and over a few weeks, they invite, me, they invite me out. They invite me out. And I'm hanging out with them. I meet some other guys. And then one of the guys starts going through something hard. And I ask him, hey, do you want to go through the book of Luke? Do you, I mean, we've talked about the gospel once or twice. Like, how about you, you, you look at Jesus for yourself and make your own call about him? He's kind of an influential guy. And he was like, okay. So we go through Luke, and then, by God's grace, he calls on God's name with faith after a couple months, okay? And, and then it happened again. The, I, I started going through Mark with another guy. And at the end, when I challenged him, hey, what, where do you stand with Jesus? You see what he's like. You see what it takes to follow him. He wants all of you, not some of you. To his credit, he was kind of like, man, I, I do see that. I don't know if I'm there yet, though. He's counting the cost is what he was doing. And I, was, I was thankful that he wasn't just, you know, compromising. He was sure, you know. And so the seed, I, the Lord was beginning to teach me to scatter seed. The Lord was beginning to teach me to be evangelistic. Here's a story from a few weeks ago. One, uh, a big part of what we're trying to do in Denver is reach the downtown campus. There's three universities there, um, a, a junior college uh, Metropolitan State and CU Denver. And most of the students that we've met are, are not even just not Christians. Some of these people never even touched a Bible. What's the gospel? I have no idea. I haven't even heard that word. Okay? One of our leaders met with a student at a bonfire that we had just recently. And then he's talking to him, tells him about the gospel. The guy's got all these questions. What about this? What about that? They're, going, they're talking about it. And then my leader says to him, hey, you want to go through the gospel of Mark together? You learn who Jesus is? Decide for yourself. And he's like, okay. So they, they, they sit down, and he's like, he's like, okay, we're going to go through the Gospel of Mark. And he opens it up, you know, to like the middle where Mark is. And he goes, why are we starting in the middle? Which is like the most reasonable question ever, right? 
I mean, like, it's so reasonable. And he's like, oh, okay. And he explains to him why. I mean, these are people who have never heard. And man, when he told me that story, I'm like, have I ever felt more in the center of my purpose? Ever. This is so satisfying. This is so satisfying to be a part of. The gospel brings passion. And at the end of verse 21, we see that he goes back through these cities to strengthen the believers. He could get stoned again. He could die. But for him, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Can't lose. Can't lose. The gospel brings persecution. The gospel brings passion. And here's the last one. The gospel brings planting. In verse 22, he goes back through these cities and strengthens the disciples. Here's what he does, guys. He's, 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 he's preached the gospel in these cities. He's planted something in the ground. And there's a handful of believers. Maybe it's a couple dozen. Maybe it's 50, 80. And there's a plant that starts to grow in this city. A community of faith that starts to grow. And he's teaching them. He's strengthening them. He's helping them mature. Look at how it ends in verse 23. Look at, look at how this closes here. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord. When they had appointed elders from these communities, they raise up leaders to care for the community of faith. This New Testament uh, office of, of pastor, elder. So, so again, here's the summary of what's happened. They leave Antioch. They go to all these cities. They preach the gospel. A community of faith forms. They strengthen them. They teach them, hey, here's God's word. Here's what's God's purpose for your life. Here's, a, here's, here's another part of your life. You have to turn over to Jesus, turn and repent of the sin. The, the Christian life is, is repentance all the time. And then they raise up leaders. And then you know what we have? Windsor Community Church? A new church plant. This is church planting. This is why we do it. This is the play call. This is the play that Jesus gave to the church. Hey, guys, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded. And what do they do? They plant churches. This is the play call that Jesus gave us. They go back and they appoint elders, and boom, you have a new church. And don't forget that it was a local church that sent them. Some of us are goers. Some of us are Senders, you always got to have both because if everybody goes and you just got to send people back anyway, right? Some people are goers, some people are senders. All of us are disciple makers. You're supposed to grow as a Christian, grow as a disciple, and make disciples. This is the heartbeat of the Christian faith. All of us are disciple makers. And Windsor Community Church, I, I just want to ask you for a minute here. I want you to think about the people that you love that aren't Christians. I want you to let the Spirit of God right now bring a face or two into your mind. And then I want you to grasp hold on the fact that Jesus has elected you his plan A. And that no gospel, no disciples. You're not responsible for the way that the ground responds to the seed but you are responsible for scattering it. And let me tell you, there's nothing greater. There's nothing better in life than to watch somebody's eyes open wide when they realize what the good news is, that there's a God who's been pursuing them their whole life, 
I want you to think about the faces that God, that the Holy Spirit is bringing to your mind right now. And I just want to encourage you. As a guy who only started doing this recently, I just want to encourage you to give them the good news. You can do it in 90 seconds. Here's one sentence of it. Ready? God saves sinners. That's all you can get out? That's awesome. Maybe you can use Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Give them the good news. This is, this is such a massive part of your purpose, and it's going to be so satisfying for you. Some of you have been faithful in this. Praise Jesus for you. I just want to encourage you to make disciples, and I'm telling you, it's going to be one of the best things you've ever done because there's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more satisfying. Your families make disciples of your kids, your friends, your family. So let's ask God to give us such a strong experience of love and grace with him that we can't help but do that. You can't help but overflow with the love of the gospel. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, There's nothing better than you. Jesus, thank you for the chance to partner with you in seeing people saved. Lord Jesus, it's you that saves, and we're pleased to be instruments in your hands as you do it. Give us front row seats, Lord Jesus. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Teach us to stumble through these things and give your name glory as we watch you save people in spite of ourselves. Thank you, Jesus, for saving us. Thank you, Jesus, for this text today and the example of Paul and Barnabas and so many brothers and sisters throughout the centuries who were faithful to share the gospel such that we get to stand here today in Windsor, Colorado and call in your name. We stand on the shoulders of those who really loved you, God. We stand on the shoulders of those who really loved you. Help us to do the same. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen.